Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. We're thrilled to welcome to the show the host of the amazing coaching podcast, Way of the Champions, John O'Sullivan. John, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, John. Thanks, and Billy, thanks for having me on. This is great. So on top of your great podcast that I think all coaches should be listening to if they're not already, uh, you also run Changing the Game Project. Can you take us a little bit into the mission of that project? Yeah, I mean, if I had to put it in a sentence, it was always to put a little more play back and play ball um, with this idea that youth sports had been so adultified and and was about the 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 values and priorities of adults so often and not the children playing that we really needed a reset and so i had been in in coaching for a long time an athlete before that and i just felt that a lot of parents didn't really know what good looked like and and a lot of coaches wanted to coach a different way but felt sort of the culture of sport forcing them to do something else and so I was like, well, maybe if I can become a good trusted resource and aggregator of information, um, I can give parents permission to parent a little differently and coaches permission to coach a little differently. Um, And so, yeah, nine years, nine years into it. And here we are. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I hope people will check it out and look more into it. And that's what we wanted to dive into is talking about coaching youth athletes. So I guess just to start really broad, if you could give you know, on the coaching side for youth sport coaches, one big piece of advice, what would it be? I mean, be the coach you always wish you had, right? Like, I mean, how about that? Like, I, I think yeah. we all, right, uh, you know, can think of a favorite coach. And I always say to people, like, if you, if you don't, if you're like, man, I don't think I ever had a good coach. Well, who is your best teacher? We all probably at least had one teacher we loved. And what were the qualities of him or her? What, what were the qualities of that person? And, and the things that you'll remember are not like, oh, my God, you know, they, they taught me, you know, how to dig a volleyball or how to play a 4-3-3 in soccer or whatever. It's like they were caring. They were in it for me. Um, they made it fun. Um, they're a great communicator. They're a good listener. They cared about the human being. And, and so that's my piece of advice. Be that person. Whatever those qualities are that you remember as, as from your best coach, be that for your kids because they're going to really, you know, respond to that as well. And what do you find are some of the negative coaching traits that scare kids off sports? I mean, I think the biggest thing is is lack of joy, right? Lack of fun, and I mean, you guys you know, played your sport at the highest level and, and, and Billy, you still play. It's like, there's gotta be a level of enjoyment to it, to be away from your family, to be on the road to whatever. And, and, you know, like on the podcast, you know, we talked to Steve Kerr from the Warriors and they said, what's the number one value of the Warriors is joy, right? You look at Pete Carroll and the Seahawks, there's joy. You look at all these top coaches, they recognize the need for joy and, and, and fun. Now, joy does not mean you're not working hard. It doesn't mean there's no discipline. It doesn't mean we're fooling around. It just means that we're, we're focused on who's in front of me and, and why are they here. And so if, if pro players and pro coaches recognize the need for joy, then when you're coaching your eight-year-old or your 10-year-old 
and you're saying, oh, this is supposed to be competitive. It's not supposed to be fun. You are so far off base. And yeah, some kids might survive that, but the majority will go find something else to do, which is more fun. Mm-hmm. And how do you teach them to be like have competitive practices, but still be fun and not suck the fun out of it? Like, how do you find that balance as a coach? I mean, you know, there's a, a ton of evidence out there on, on, competition and, and practice design, right. Learning environment. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes is um, we have coaches have to stop seeing themselves as transmitters of information and start seeing yourself as architects of optimal learning environments. Right. So what's an optimal learning environment. It teaches game intelligence, So it teaches observation and decision-making and problem-solving and technical execution. And so I see a lot of coaches um, so focused on technical execution at really, really young ages that all of a sudden you have technically proficient kids who can't read the game, right? So I I coach soccer, right? And so, you know, most of the time, most errors in a game of soccer are not technical errors. There might be a technical error that we see, but there was an observation and an understanding issue far before there came the technical bad touch. And I would think volleyball is the same. I think ice hockey is the same. I think any game that is fluid and moving, you know, and, and I saw years ago, I saw some really interesting volleyball research where they would flash up really quickly, like a, a quick shot of like something happening on the other side of the court. And they showed that to an amateur volleyball player and a professional volleyball player. And that professional player, like 10 times more, was able to tell you exactly where that next shot was going or whatever by that quick snapshot of reading it. So if you were running a practice and kids are not making decisions, observing, understanding, then they're not doing it. Plus, they signed up to play volleyball. They signed up to play soccer. So there should be goals. There should be a game. It should be something that resembles the thing that they signed up for in the first place. And if they never get to play, then then it's not going to be fun. Yeah, and I think uh, we hear that a lot like, oh, yeah, at young, young, young ages, it's important for them to be have fun. But at some point, they got to get more serious. Um, but I guess you just mentioned that even the warriors have that as one of their, their tenants is having fun. Well, I guess what's your argument to coaches that say when it comes to high school and older, they just need to be, you know, serious and, you know, be learning more again, serious and fun aren't, aren't mutually exclusive, right? Seriousness means I'm working hard. I'm, I'm competing. I'm focused. I'm giving my best effort. That can still be pretty fun. I mean, I'm sure when, when, when you play a match and you're playing your best, there's, there's focus and effort and everything and an element of joy to it when you're sort of in flow and, and things are working for you, you know? And so, um, I think coaches make a mistake when they think that if anyone's smiling, this is clearly not a productive practice. I would say the opposite. I think the best practices that I run are the ones when uh, you know, I'm like practice is over. I'm like, all right, guys, grab the cones. And they're like, wait, wh- why are we, why are we finishing early? I'm like, we're not, that was 90 minutes. And they're like, Oh, really? Wow. That was great. You know? And, and that's when I feel like I nailed it versus like, Oh, did I get through everything on my checklist? that I wanted to cover. So I just think, put yourself 
look at who's in front of you, put yourself in his or her shoes and, um, and, 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 and coach, you know, run a practice that you wish you were a part of as a player. Right. I, I try, I try to do that all the time. Like, would I want to play in this practice? And if the answer is yes, it's probably a pretty good one. And I remember what I didn't like, and it's not, doesn't mean that there's not things that you have to cover or to teach, but I mean, move on. Yeah. So I think that's a great topic to go into, you know, with parents, especially with youth coaching, you know, how, how do we interact with parents? But, you know, also I, <laughs> I think sometimes parents like seeing these like organized, isolated, your teaching technique, you know, where maybe when they're really learning, right, they're playing games and, and doing all that. So I guess, how do you start off when you're first interacting with, with parents? I mean, that's a huge question. So let me sort of take the, the close up piece of it first and then, and then mm -hmm. back up. I mean, I think first of all, you know, what you said, John, this like idea of like, isolated practices, technical repetitions, congratulations. That's what you're witnessing in the moment is performance, not learning. Right. right. And those are two very, very different things. Um, learning is the ability to retrieve something later on and do it again. Uh, performance is what I'm doing in the moment. And so what we know about learning is that when you isolate your practices, when you repeat something 50 times in a row, your brain starts to shut down, right? And, and so what, what creates great learning environments is not repetition of a single thing, but what they call interleaving, which is, you know, randomized things. I do one thing, then I do the next thing, very much like the game. Um, like there was really interesting research in golf on this where, you know, they took a pro golfer and put him on the range and they put one of those, you know, full body suits that they use in movies to animate his movements and, you know, he hit 57 irons and really repeated the same swing every time. And then they put that golfer out on the golf course in different places to hit seven irons, the balls above your feet, below your feet, uphill, downhill, different pin. And he took 50 different swings, right? So that's why we're all really good in the golf range and we are all very bad on the golf course. So the problem is the, the parent who doesn't know seize your practice, look at the lines, look at the cones, look at the organization, mm -hmm. right? And goes, man, that's a coach. But really learning is messy. And so what we know, the only proven learning, you know, things that research actually backs up is interleaving, right? Randomizing it, desirable difficulties. So it's supposed to be hard and challenging. Um, spacing, Right. So when I space out, I do something and then I come back to it two weeks later, if the people can retrieve it, that's what makes learning sticky. So coaches need to know that. Right. Coaches need and, and there's good people. I mean, in the volleyball world, you know, John Kessel, when he was with USA Volleyball, was great at teaching this. And you know, this guy, Trevor Reagan, who he's not a volleyball guy, but but I know train ugly or the learner labs really great and yep. big in the volleyball world. And, and, and they teach this. Right. So this is the research and the research has to meet the the coaching reality. And a lot of us coach the way that we were coached, which is stand in line, repeat something 50 times, look at us doing it better, and then show up the game on the weekend and be like, you know, why can't you do this? We went over it in practice. Right. So I think that's the sort of the, the nitty gritty of it. Now, the big picture is 
how can we work with parents? Well, then that starts with trust, right? Like trust is a, a huge thing. And, you know, I mean, I have, I have two teenagers now, two kids in high school, but I didn't understand trust really until I had my own children. And then I, you know, I was coaching forever and I'd say, well, trust me, I was a pro player, right? And so I thought trust was about ability, but trust is about connection. Trust is about being believable. Trust is about being dependable. Trust is about, about admitting when you're wrong. And so I think the first thing that coaches have to do is, is understand trust and build trust with parents that I have, I'm in this for your kid. I, I have his or her best interest in mind. And if I'm doing something, making them uncomfortable by pushing them, by, by challenging them, that there's this trust that, well, you know, you're doing it for my child and not, oh, you know, John's all about John and he's hoping for the next job. Right. And, and so I think this is the, this is the thing that coaches have to understand the day we start, it's about building trust. It's about building connections so that those parents know that this is an important mentor in my child's life and not, wow, that guy knows a heck of a lot about volleyball, but you know, doesn't give a crap about my kid. So, so if you've built that trust, would you still like, once you've done that, would you go into like this motor learning research? Like, you know, here's why our practice is messy and here's why we have random reps instead of blocked reps. Or is that just like, as a parent, you're just going to glaze over? Uh, you know, I, I, I think it's both right. And you never stop building trust. Like that's not like a, it's not an event, it's a process. And, and um, but I think, I think you can explain early on, all right, what's our practice philosophy, right? And so this is what you're going to see. And this is why you're going to see it. And I don't have a ton of time to dive into this more now, but if you would like, go listen to Trevor Reagan's podcast, go, you know, <laughs> here's a book, <laughs> read the book, like whatever it is, like, this is not, this is not, you know, so I'm happy to have this discussion, but I'm not going to get into an hour of motor learning with, with you all right now, but trust me on this, that I didn't just wake up this morning and decide to do this. Like there's a reason behind how we do what we do. And, 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 you know, the more variables your sport has, the more, the, the more random your practice has to be. And I would just think beach volleyball would be way more random than indoor volleyball because you have wind. Yeah. So as a coach, um, what would you do if parents are coaching and yelling from the sidelines in a practice or game at the athletes? I know, I know this doesn't happen in soccer so much. I would create a global pandemic. So they're not allowed <laughs> to attend. And then <laughs> smart. <laughs> and then, it was you. And then it was me. And then, and then all of a sudden you hear the voices of the children and the voices of the coaches and whatever. So, you know, I, I think, I, I think there's just some really, again, interesting research around decision-making. And if you think about soccer, right. It, you know, like the kids have to figure it out. Like you cannot, when that, when that serves in the air in volleyball, you can't, you know, be yelling, what technique to use, right? The player has to see it, understand it and, and, and choose the right thing um, by seeing it in practice and things like that. And so what I try to teach parents is it's actually um, the more you yell, the worse your kids will play. And like I'll do when I speak to parent groups, I'll do this like uh, 
big activity together where I prove that to them, this thing called the Stroop test. And it's like, hey, the, the more you, um, the more cognitive interference you add, the slower the physical reaction time of a task. And so, um, it, you know, I, I try to make people feel something and then they might think something. And, and then I also say to them, like, when I speak to kids, I'm like, what do you think your kids would like you to say on the sideline? And all the parents yell out nothing because they know the answer, right? And then I'm like, and what are you going to go do on the weekend? You're going to go yell and scream, whatever, and you're going to steal the reps and you're going to do all those things from the kids, you know? And I'm like, and I've never once ever had a kid say to me, it's super helpful when my dad yells at the ref, right? So like, I, I think all these things feed into it. Like, you know, what, who, is this about you or is this about your children? Yeah. What about, um, yeah, I guess for, for parents, just general advice, if, you know, they have a, a young child who's enjoys sports uh, and has shown that they're really good at a sport, what direction do you push them to go um, specializing in a sport? I guess, how, yeah, I guess, how do they create a environment so the kid can continue to enjoy and grow in sports? You know, it's, it's, I mean, there's so much that goes into that, that question, you know, where you live, right? Where you live, John, it's much harder um, for a kid if they don't, you know, pour a lot of time into one sport very young, they, they, they're out of the pipeline way, way too young. Now that's not based on what's right for athlete development. That's not based on what's right for um, child development. That's just based on the adultified system that is said, get them in as early as possible for as long as possible and, and, and churn and churn through them. Um, what's also happened is sort of like, clearly I'm, I turned 50 here in a couple of weeks when I grew up in New York, there's like, you know, you played multiple sports when you're young, you had seasons and then you found maybe in high school, the one that you liked more and, and you put more time into that. Now that doesn't happen as much. So for a lot of parents, they, they try to say, Oh, my kid needs to be multi-sport, which is right. But you can go too far. And so I see children who are multi-sport specialists, right? So they're doing two or three sports year round. And then you have that 12 year old who shows up at your practice. He or she looks like a zombie. They're exhausted. They hit their growth sport. They start getting injured all the time because they never get time off. They never get downtime. So what I try to advise now is that every child, regardless of how good they are, regardless of sport, needs a multi-movement experience, right? You need to learn to move in all different planes and whatever. You need athletic balance. If you're playing volleyball, you're going to have an imbalance between, you know, the arm you hit with and the one that you don't. And you're going to have, you know, if you're a swimmer, you're going to have this. If you're a soccer player, you're going to have this. And so you need a multi-movement experience and that's strength and conditioning, that's martial arts, that's yoga, that's complementary sports. And, and you don't have to do every sport all out, like, you know, have a favorite sport. If your kid has a favorite sport, do that. And then, and then, you know, do another recreationally. And then I think the last piece of that's kind of, again, it's a long answer, but like every sport has different requirements of it to be good, right? You're going to have to put in a lot more hours at a young age in soccer um, because it's probably the hardest game to be truly elite in, in the world. Cause so many people play it right. Ice hockey. Cause you have to learn to skate or whatever. 
uh, a volleyball, you have the ability to specialize a little bit later. And let's face it, you know, if you're six, seven, you're going to have an advantage over someone who's not. So there's a genetic component to it. Um, so every sport has different needs and requirements. Um, and I think the biggest mistake we make in the U.S. is we pour we pour every single person into the funnel to try to create the elite instead of saying, wow, 98% of these people just want to play volleyball or just want to swim or just want to play soccer. And they don't want to go to the next level. So, you know, how do, where, where's the programming for them? And so John and I both coach our, our children in soccer right now. Um, do you have any insights on how to make that a healthy dynamic of being the parent and the coach? <laughs> that's always a challenging one um what what age i, I think john you said is your, you said eight years old and Billy, uh, she's you? in 10 U, so she's eight, yeah, yeah eight or nine yeah, mine, yeah. mine's five five so you're both in that age where um just no offense that this is coming but pretty soon you won't be very cool anymore you know <laughs> so so um you're, you're both in that okay spot i think the, the biggest challenge when you're a parent coach is the ability to take off your coaching hat and just be in your case, dad again. Right. Because for some kids who get coached by their parents, practice never ends. Right. It's, it's just this constant, it's this constant, um, you know, you know, critique or whatever. And you get in the car after the game, the game hasn't ended. And then for all the other kids, the game gets to end and lunch begins. So like, I think that's the biggest thing is the ability to be dad and then be coach. Um, number two, to be cognizant of how your conversations, how your coaching affects your kids' relationships on the team. And again, your kids are young. It's not as big a deal. Um, but certainly once you get into the middle school years, it can become a difficult thing when, you know, you've made a decision and a kid's not playing as much or the kid doesn't like coach and then they take it out on your daughter or your son or whatever. So it's that constant check-in of, of how to be dad, how to be coach. And do you want me to keep coaching you or not? Um, and I think that's, you know, those two things I think are the biggest thing when you're, when you're working with your, with your own kid, and, and recognizing that at five, maybe at eight, maybe, you know, 11, 12, you like you start getting this point where not everyone on the team is going to be happy, right? My kid doesn't start enough games or doesn't play enough or doesn't play his favorite position. And so they'll blame you. And then sometimes it trickles down to your child. Yeah. Well, th I think the lucky thing Billy and I have is we were never cool. So, you know, we're, <laughs> we're all set and where to go but up <laughs> yeah so i wanted to go back into development and some of the skill acquisition which we were discussing and go, go just a little bit deeper into it so again coaching my daughter and i know basically nothing about soccer and you know i know a little bit about coaching uh, and observing this style called corver training mm -hmm. where there's a lot of uh, of what we had mentioned before some of the isolated you're in a box doing these you know learning these fundamentals uh, they say you know maybe learning a, a specific move like uh, uh, using a the outside of your foot yeah scissor chop. exactly yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. and the pushback I get and I you know what what we do is we do small sided games and we let them compete and let them play and but we get some pushback saying, you know, how are they going to learn the fundamentals? And so I guess what I'm wondering is, will the fundamentals emerge through these games? 
or do you have to learn them, you know, and be shown them and demonstrated them to actually have these potential soccer fundamentals? Well, here, here's, here's the thing, right? Let's just say I'm working on in soccer, attacking dribbling, right? And so I put the kids in a box and I do Corver skills and I teach them to do, you know, the dip and go, right? Dip my shoulder to the left and take it with the outside of my right foot. And, you know, that cone that I'm running against is, you know, I'm beating that cone every time. But what determines whether I will do a dip and go in a game, right? It's where's the defender? How far am I from the defender? How fast am I moving? Where are my teammates? Where is her cover? Where am I on the field? So when I run at a cone in a box, all the game cues are missing, right? They're missing. And so that's why you see kids dip and go all day long. And then you go to one V one and none of them work because their spacing, their speed, all these other things are wrong. And so the people who say, Oh, you can't go to that until you've done this. Don't understand game intelligence. And soccer is a game about game intelligence. Soccer is a game about understanding space. Right. And understand, can you understand and can you exploit space? That's what soccer is. Um, and so, and so I'm not saying that there's never a time for that, but you have to look at this and say, all right, we have two practices a week. We get, you know, whatever it is, 75 minutes times two. How am I going to use that time most effectively? And so why would we all gather in a group to play by ourselves? Right. Whereas by all means, coach, send those kids home with work to do at home. Now you're home with your brother or your sister or your dad or your mom or by yourself, build your box, do all your Corver stuff by all means, and then show up at practice and let me show you how to deploy that in the game. So it's not to say that great players haven't spent a ton of time doing that, but that's not who you are in the moment that's not who you're working with right you're trying to teach them the ability to deploy technique not just to have technique mm -hmm. yeah i mean you're you're preaching to the choir right now i'm like yes 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 but then it makes me wonder you know we have all this great motor learning research we know what actual learning looks like then how do I show up and you know this is the training they give us at Corver and the same thing with volleyball there's all sorts of like, why do you think this persists, this sort of like isolated fundamental first training? Well, I, I, you know, I know some of the people who run Corver in the U.S. and have taught that. And I think, to be fair to them, Corver has kind of gotten a bad name of all it is is isolated stuff. Because if you dive into a Wild Corver's stuff, there's a lot of rondos and small sided games and stuff in there. It's just we never get past stage one, which is toe right. taps and foundation and all these other things. But like, um, you know, it, it, it's more than that. Right. And so you, you know, coach a coach, we'll, we'll just pick on, on Billy for a second. Right. Good. Yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> Billy's going to work on passing today and he's going to have kids pass a ball and run to the end of the line across from them. Right. And we're getting our passing repetitions in and we're going to receive and pass, receive and pass. Right. And so look at all those repetitions. Coach John is going to play four V one Rondo. 
So now in a 4v1 rondo, I'm getting lots of passing repetitions, but I'm also having to receive the ball on the correct foot with the correct body position. I'm having to look at where a defender is. I'm, gonna, I'm having to find my teammate and pass to her to the correct space at the correct pace. And then I'm having to move afterwards so I can support my pass. So I'm still getting passing repetitions in, but I'm learning all the other stuff at the same time. And the idea that you can only learn one thing at a time, it's, it's, it's just not true. So again, I'm not saying that when you do passing and a kid is struggling with it, you don't say, hey, go home, find a wall and pass a ball against the wall and lock your ankle and bend your knee and here's all the technical pieces. Yes, of course you need to do that. But when we get together twice a week, this is how we're working on passing right here.